Isn't it a privilege to be a Christian serving the Lord? I don't believe there's anything the devil finds any harder than God's people, do you? Going to church, loving him, serving him. That ought to let us know, though, what a threat we are to the kingdom of hell. If me and the devil was the best of buddies, y'all are in a mess. I'm going to tell you that right now. So would I be. But if he hates you, then you ought to say, praise the Lord. The devil hates me when I get up. He hates me when I go to bed. He hates me. He hates me. And Brother Jack, the feelings are totally mutual, aren't they? <laughs> praise the Lord. Let's turn tonight, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read verse, verse 7. We'll just leave them or take them or you take them. All right. Okay. First Corinthians chapter three, verse seven. <clears throat> Let's listen at the great master builder now. I believe the Lord truly had a church in the book of Acts the way he wanted. Yeah. A church that he himself founded. And he gave the plans to his God call men in that day. Paul calls himself the master builder. That word is octuron, which is an architect, an architect. So Peter never claimed that he was, nor did James, nor John. So there must have been something special that God gave to Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own labor. Now, remember, our reward is not based upon just grace alone, what God gives us. But reward is based on labor, what we do with what God gives us. And listen to this astounding verse. For we are laborers together with God. Now here he's speaking about the ministry. We are laborers together with God. And the word labor is helper, fellow worker, companion in labor. We are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husband. God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And the word husbandry is land that has been tilled, land that has been worked to be able to receive the seed. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together, with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Workers together with him. I mean, I'd like to be remembered tonight as we pray before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can be gathered together here tonight, Lord. We count it an honor, a privilege, dear Jesus, that we could assemble and sing and worship and pray and raise our hands and lift our voices and just be a witness, just to let hell know we've come here tonight to praise God. As your word tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. That's not our manner. Our manner is to be able to 
come together with the people of God. Not only get, but to give. We're here to give back to you praise and love. So we're asking that you'd help us tonight as we look into the word. Help me, Jesus, I can get out of the way. Speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There is absolutely no higher honor that could be bestowed upon any man in this life than to be reckoned as being a laborer with God in the same field, doing the same things, having the same plan, the same designer, the same architect for one goal, one motive, one purpose. Not a private personal agenda on your own, but to be identified as a laborer with him. Every one of us, not just preachers, of course, in the ministry, but every one of us have something that we can do. And the thing for us to do is go to him who brought us here and ask him, Lord, what can I do? What should I do? What can I be able to benefit the body and being able to minister to the body? So as God's husbandry, your part is going to be more as the cultivated field then the seed, no matter how wonderful, precious, powerful that it is with life, it cannot grow without being in the right type of soil. And we all are aware that there are many people that will hear the gospel. They will hear the truths, present-day truths, and because their soul is not the right type of ground, it'll never bring forth in fruition. It'll never multiply, never grow. They'll go for a while, then they go right back out into the world. They'll go for a while, get cold, backslide, or just accept a little occasional something with God, a little bit of religion that makes them feel pretty good. But for the bride, she's actually called the husbandry. So she is the cultivated field by which God sows it. Now, according to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Now, some people might consider this to be bragging and that Paul was sure was speaking pretty highly of himself. But I think myself this was necessary for Paul to be able to lay out to the Corinthian church what God had revealed to him. Now remember the Lord tells him about the city of Corinth that I have much people in this city. And the Corinthian church was a very carnal church. The first letter is filled with one rebuke after another because they're living all kinds of lives and it was a major port city. Uh, basically a Greek, it was a melting pot, so like we'd say, of New York. So they had all types of classes and cultures of people who live there. Uh, one of the big main worshippers places for Astarte, also Zeus, a lot of the different gods and goddesses. So there was anything and everything that you can imagine. And the Christians that were there, the church that was there, was made up predominantly of Gentile believers. And when they came to the Lord, they still was not quite washed. Now, don't be too hard on them, because remember, they did not have the New Testament put together the way you and I do. 
Many of them did not even have the Old Testament where they could go back and read Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. They certainly had no tapes and no books. So it's not like that they had all these volumes and libraries to know what to do. So much of, especially 1 Corinthians, is Paul dealing with a bunch of issues that was in the Corinthian church. But Paul also knows that his ministry is going to go on for the ages that is to come. So he's not just writing to them there. So much of what we see in especially 1 Corinthians is issues that was in the church. So there was sin in the church. There was sexual sins. They had all kinds of problems with the gifts. They had all kinds of problems with people who wanted to magnify the spiritual aspect of speaking in tongues, prophecy, things like that. And yet for many of them, they didn't even understand love. So Paul had to go through the basic understanding of love. Now he's having to lay out to them about the order of the ministry in the body. Now as the wise master builder, he's going to have an understanding about the ministry that probably some other ministers won't even have themselves. Now listen how he addresses this. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man... Take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now listen to this carefully. Every man that is a Christian builder, now this will include denominations, this will include every man who claims he's a preacher and claims he's building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now many men are actually on the the substrate or the foundation of Christianity and they will let you know right up front they are not building on the gods of Islam. They're not building on the gods of Hinduism or Taoism or communism. They'll let you know right up front that they believe Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. They believe that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and they will say that's my foundation. Now listen to me carefully so you don't misunderstand. And Paul actually knew that there would be thousands times thousands of these types of builders. And they would profess that they were building on Jesus Christ. So here Paul warns them, all right? Now you men, every one of you preachers, you get this in your mind and take heed. Wow. So if they were not actually building on part of the foundation that Paul laid, Paul would just say, I, I ain't worried about you no way. Hey, I, you're, you're false, you're in the error, you ain't gonna bring no, no detriment at all to the gospel. But Paul knew they named the name of Jesus. And he knew that many of them, because they would build on the foundation stone of Christianity, So they're not building on an Old Testament principle alone. They're not building on just a denominational doctrine because even them say they believe in the cross and the power of the blood. So here Paul is now warning then every preacher, so listen what he says, that every man to take heed. Now notice his warning. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So Paul never separated them, the so-called gospel preachers that would build wood, hay, or stubble on the foundation of Christianity. 
So what is the foundation then of all Christian churches? They will say, of course, it's Christ Jesus. It's God so loved the world. It's that he came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And they'll say, oh yes, we believe in the blood, we believe in the cross, we believe in the transforming power to change the life. So Paul did not recant that or deny that, but Paul said, all right, I'll give you that credit. So you say you are building on the foundation of Christ. So let me go a little farther, he said, and give you a warning that you need to take heed what you are going to build on this foundation of Christianity. So, now to settle this before we go any farther. Is it possible then that a preacher can build wood, hay, stubble on the foundation of Christianity and what he builds is totally error. He will spend years of his life. He will labor He will study. He will pray. He will do all sorts of things, but yet the materials that he is using is incorrect. But the foundation itself is true. So what is the foundation, Brother Dottie? The foundation is Christianity. Now, we know the Old Testament, they done exactly the same thing. So they took the law that God gave Moses, and then they began to add things to it. So by the time Jesus got there, a man could divorce his wife for burning his supper. Me and Carol wouldn't have lasted about three or four months after we got married. Because bless her little darling heart, she was cooking black and Cajun before it was ever known about. But I put up with it, and I'm going to tell you one thing, she's turned into an awesome cook. So you can imagine now, the law never said a man could put away his wife for that reason. A man could put away his wife by the time Jesus got there if his wife raised her voice to his mother or even if he looked at a younger woman and wanted her, then he could put away his wife for any cause. We're just about that bad in the message anymore. So Moses never taught that. But they took the foundation of the law and began to add their own ideas to it and build on that. By the time Jesus got there, it had eroded to the spot that we read on Sunday morning where the disciples themselves, and most of them, if you don't know it, they were of the Pharisee group. So the Pharisees taught that sin before you were ever born, which is absolutely absurd, that the blind man in John 9, and they asked Jesus the question, who sinned him? or his parents that he was born blind? Anybody in the right mind should know the answer to that. How in the world could you sin before you were born? But you see, they had eroded so far from the truth, by the time Jesus got here, that's where it was. But yet, they would go back and say, but we are Moses' disciples. So you see, Christianity then, after 2,000 years, Christianity has eroded to the spot even worse now than it was in the days of the Lord Jesus. So Paul feels the necessity to warn every man that claims to be a God-called pastor, a God-called teacher, a God-called evangelist, that he would build erroneous teaching, ideology, all kinds of things that are not gold, they are not silver, and they are not precious gems. But they are wood, 
hay and stubble. Now, Paul preaches something about this that, of course, I had a really hard time with whenever I was a Pentecostal because I read the book of Corinthians a lot. And whenever I would run across this, being a Pentecostal, I couldn't understand it. So I never preached it one time when I was a Pentecostal preacher. And that was that Paul said that if a man will build on this foundation of Christianity, wood, hay, or stubble, that the fire one day will try every preacher's work. And if his work does not stand the fire, then his work will be burned up, but he himself will be saved. Now you understand that there's a difference in being saved and being called to be a preacher. I mean, knows that. So being called to be a preacher has nothing to do with being saved. As a matter of fact, it's two separate things. So a person can be saved and yet lose every one of their works. Well, you say, where's the Bible for that uh, man in the, name, in the Bible by the name of Mr. Lot? He lost everything that he had, lost everything by fire, yet he himself was saved. Is that right? So Paul feels the need to warn then, not just the preachers in this day, but every other preacher that would come. Notice again in 1 Timothy 4.15, he said, meditate upon these things and give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Notice verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now here Paul is writing to his son of the gospel, but yet he felt the need to warn Timothy to take heed, to be careful what doctrine that he preaches, what he stands for, and what he promotes. Now Paul knows he's not gonna live uh, much longer. By the time this is written, he's very close now to being offered. So he wants to give Timothy, Titus, and these other brethren a good, sound doctrine and good understanding and also a warning because he believed that God would take him and these men would carry on with that same word. So he wants to instill in them not just correct water baptism, but he wants to instill in them the structure of the church and the structure of how the church would continue on because they'd come to the spot now to where they realized Jesus was not gonna come in their generation. He, they realized that Jesus was going to tarry for many, many years. I'm glad they realized that. I'm glad they moved beyond the basic understanding of what most of them had when the apostolic church first started because if they hadn't, have, we would have only had the basic principles of how to know how to get saved. But I'm glad they had an understanding. You gotta have a church with substantial foundation, doctrines, I know a lot of folks don't like doctrine, but you gotta have doctrine to be a church. So he wanted to encourage them to be able to understand this. Now notice he said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Now not just salvation, but the doctrine, so doctrine is important. And continue in them, the doctrine, and in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Notice 1 Corinthians 4, 13. He says, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world 
and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Now here Paul, again, is writing to those in the city of Corinth, but also those that are ministering, because he has begotten them to Christ through the gospel. He was a father, not pater in the sense of a pope, but a father which had begotten them by the word. Now we know every preacher does not have the ability to beget children to God. Uh, Somebody's gonna look at me funny. Every preacher does not have the ability to produce new births. You see, a man who's not born again himself cannot lead you to eternal life. So many preachers are not actually bringing people to birth, they're bringing them to a confession. I accept Jesus as my savior and they will present many people at that day that were saved people but not truly born again. Oh, you're saying, now wait a minute, Brother Donnie, I've got to have scripture for that. Well, I knew you would. That's why I have one prepared for you. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, so 10,000 rabbis, 10,000 teachers, 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? So you might have 10,000 preachers that could preach doctrine and they could go through and boy, quote you Greek words and Aramaic and Latin and Hebrew and all that sort of thing and yet not be able to produce one birth in a six-week revival. Now you see, this is why it's so important, friends, that men that are called of God not only to preach, but they are also called to produce new births. You see, this is why some preachers do not have the ability to make their ministry grow on its own. So what do they do? Proselyte others. At the end of the service here Wednesday night, one of the sisters come up for prayer. And she told me, Brother Donnie, what you preached here tonight just happened in my father's church. Her father's church is in another country. I know the brother well, great labor in the gospel, great brother stood for the Lord for years and years. But a younger man going around in that particular country and and proselyting people from this church and that church and that church and pulling on people to follow him. Now you see a true man that is born of the spirit of God does not have to depend on other preachers to beget sheep for him. He has the ability to reproduce his own. But some preachers don't have that ability. Now this is the Bible. We just do believe the Bible, right, right. Oh, okay, I just wanna make sure y'all, I was thinking y'all did. So we could have 10,000 instructors, but how many out of that 10,000 would actually have the power of begettle? Where they could preach the word to the soul. Because you see, them men, actually have the ministry of reconciliation. Some men only have a a ministry of salvation. They have a ministry of some sort of doctrine. Or, you know, they're just like the kind old priest. Oh, he's so loving, he's so gentle, he's so nice. Oh, he talks so sweet to you. Oh, he's just such a sweet, sweet brother. Well, that's well and good. I like sweetness on certain things. 
But you know what? I'd rather have a man that could be my father in the word and produce a new birth than a guy that's just about like a cinnamon roll. I mean, he just oozing with goodness and sweetness. And I mean, just, you know, just everybody gets around just ooey gooey whenever he gets done and cannot produce one son or daughter of God. What good is sweetness with just a bunch of words? Now, you know, y'all do believe what Paul said, right? I know you did. Now, know this, so he said, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers for in Christ Jesus. Notice now, Paul said, for in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul was in Christ and Christ was using Paul's gift to pass his seed word to quicken germs of life. Now a man who's not in Christ, a man that just studies to be a preacher, and he might be a good talker. There's no question about it. Some of these guys have podcasts and some of these guys that will write books and you pick them up in the Bible bookstore. Many good thoughts and many good ideas. They're not all crazy and all weird and all bad. Many of them have some good Bible principles. But can they produce births? Can they produce births? Oh, you might get a good something from them every now and then, and they may have a good point here and a good point there, but for myself, if I was a person looking to sit under a minister, I would want to see if the man was produced births and had through the years. If he ain't, I ain't going to sit there alone myself. Now notice, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So then apparently every preacher does not have the ability to beget children to God by spoken word birth. Now, there might be men that can stand up and quote the Bible and quote the message. Oh my, they quote that prophet. They just lay it down there. And yet you follow them and you watch them and you wonder what are they doing? What, what is their agenda? What are they doing for the body? What are they doing to the body? Is the body coming to that place of fruition? What's really happening with them? Now Paul wanted to warn because he knew there was an intellectual side to the gospel that was going to come thereafter. It was already there really. Wherefore I beseech you be ye followers of me. How many still wants to do that today? So Paul now himself, now keep this in mind, Paul himself could be led and instructed. Now you don't want to follow any man, I don't care who he is, any man who cannot be led and be instructed to by those that are his elders, he's not a God called leader. A leader that cannot be led is not a real leader from God's presence. He's more like a dictator. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. I'm going to have to make that tape after church tonight, brothers. Maybe I can do four-part harmony on it. Now, notice this. Here is three years after Paul's conversion whenever the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. And we know the story about Paul. So Paul is now, he wants to visit the brothers and the churches in Jerusalem. Now, I said it here last Wednesday, and I don't want to say it again, that most of us message folks are so scared to death of organization, we are terrified of organism. Now, I want you to listen how the early church operated in the body. 
Now you see the problem that we have is after coming through thousands of years of organization, some of you coming out of it, maybe some of your families coming out of it, then whenever you see anything that looks like an order to a certain move of God, it scares people to death. But the reason of that is because we're standing here trying to read the Bible back through what we've experienced ourselves. Now keep in mind whenever we read these places tonight in the scripture that these people had never had an organization before like as far as an organization of the gospel. Now they come out of Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Herodians and all of that. But it was nothing quite like this. So whenever they would see this, they had no problem with it because they were not pulling it through the fear of organized religion. So Paul is going up to Jerusalem. Now, he is not known hardly at all. Uh, You know, Paul felt like, now I know this may seem really strange to you, Paul knew that God had a special work for him because he had told Ananias to tell him and by now the Lord had already been dealing with Paul three years since he's been converted. Now what was he doing during that time of three years? Well, he was preaching in Damascus, but it was quite away from Jerusalem. So they didn't have phone, text, email, things like that. So it might have been quite slow for news to come from Damascus over. But we also know, according to what Paul told us later, that he had went down to Arabia during this same time frame. So three years have passed since Paul got converted. He's still identified actually under the old name of Saul. But he was not like a lot of us in the message. He was not like a lot of people that had been down through the ages in that Paul did not feel like he did not need the rest of the brothers. Now you see, it's never the Spirit of God that will separate us away from the rest of the body. It's never the Spirit of God that will convince you you can sit home and be just as good a Christian as you can by coming to church. Well, praise the Lord. God's prophet tells you better than that. And so does your Bible. So Paul, Brother Jack, he wanted to go up to Jerusalem. Now remember by this time, he had never met Peter. He had never met James. He had never met any of the rest of the brothers. Yet he's in the ministry. He's preaching. He's doing what God's called him to do. But he felt like that he needed to be recognized with the rest of the body. Now this is apostolic teaching. This is the master builder himself before he comes into the architect position of the body. Now, how can a man be used as an architect for God if he only knows about the church in Damascus? How can this man do this then unless he has favor with the rest of the body? Oh, my. So he wants to associate himself with the disciples. He wants to be able to know Peter and to be able to meet some of the other brothers. And he also wants to be able to meet the rest of the body. You see, communion with the saints is as healthy as it is right for the individuals that understand it. So here was Paul, and he hadn't hardly had any communion at all with anybody, only just a few people. 
and he'd, he'd preached there in Damascus and no doubt brought some to the Lord, but yet Paul wanted to reach out. He was not of the mindset, I don't need nobody, bless God, I'll take my own ministry. I don't need a home church to work out of. I don't need no preacher friends. I don't need nobody. No, that's not the way the apostolic doctrine was established. Now you see, this is also established from the mind of the great designer himself. Notice this in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. The Lord Jesus said, I have prayed for thee, speaking to Peter, that thy faith fail thee not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the Lord Jesus is showing that in this body that he will establish upon the earth that no man is going to be an island. So Peter is going to backslide. Peter is going to deny even denies the Lord. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you get reconciled back yourself, I want you to strengthen the brethren. So don't stay home and don't stay away from everybody. Sure, you're going to be ashamed. You imagine how ashamed Peter was when he had to come back to the brothers and they asked him, where was you? Where was you? Well, well, I, I cussed and I, I denied I even knew him. Can you imagine? Some of you are ashamed of the things you've done. Can you imagine what this man had to tell his brothers and say, brothers, I'm sorry, please forgive me for what I've done. But yet the Lord Jesus knew this would happen, but he wanted Peter to understand like us that with the body, this is what God makes it for. Also, this is with the teaching of the apostles in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now this is again, of course, the great master builder emphasizing the importance of us getting together not only in church, but when we can have times of fellowship and whatever more, that we would admonish one another and we would talk psalms and we would sing songs and we would be able to be a benefit. And the church said, Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And Brother Ram quotes this in the seals, and says, as the manner of unbelievers is. But exhorting one another. So you see, you don't just come to church for the preacher to do all the talking, but you're to have fellowship with one another and mingle among the saints and, and talk. How you doing, brother? Well, I've been going through a burn. Oh, brother, I'm gonna be praying for you. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. That's the way God intended for the body to be. Just like your body does. Now, notice he said, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching, which don't do it less and less the farther you get into the tapes and then you realize you don't need to go to church. That's anti-scripture and anti-message. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another. You're gonna have a hard time doing it if you don't go to church, ain't you? Because you don't see nobody. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now notice then Paul gets the longing and hungering as it was to meet the brothers and see them. Now listen to this scenario very carefully. Acts chapter nine, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now here's a desire, and this is a prophet of God now, 
Nobody in Jerusalem will ever compare to his revelation. Nobody in Jerusalem will ever bring as many to the cause of Christ as he would. He is the very first missionary in the New Testament. No one ever outdid what he did. Oh, I had the facts of it several years ago. How many miles that he walked, how many miles I calculated that he spent in the ship. It was absolutely incredible to read what the man went through. And yet this man, as I would say, had the premier position in the first church age. Yet he himself did not feel like that his position alone would qualify him to stay by himself and say, I don't need nobody else. I hope you're gonna hear me tonight. So he essayed to join himself to the disciples. And they were so glad. And they all, they just opened their doors to Saul and said, dear brother, we heard that you are the master builder and praise God, come in our homes. No, that wasn't the reception he got at all. So I wonder what some of us would have done if we would have got this reception. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So what would you do? Shake the dust off your shoes? Bless God, let the judgment of God fall on this place. No. You see, Paul knew the necessity of being with the body even though it's gonna hurt him. Now watch in Galatians 1.18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. Now can you imagine what a time that must have been? Peter and Paul together, just hanging out as we'd say, talking, fellowshipping. Well, Brother Peter, how do you see this? How you preach election? How do you preach the new birth? What, what, tell me, tell me about Jesus. Tell me, tell me all these stories. Tell me, I want to know. Now here is the greatest man in the New Testament next to the Lord Jesus. But he was still teachable. You see, when we get to a spot that we can't no longer receive teaching, we're actually backslid. I don't care what you're doing. Notice this man. Chapter nine, again of Acts verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now you see, the Lord Jesus had already told us there would be an act of a paracletos, an advocate that would come and stand between us and our father. Barnabas had been so baptized by the Holy Ghost that he's acting out the advocacy of the Spirit of God. Now Barnabas had already heard about Paul. Remember, his place of where he lived was closer than, than Jerusalem. So he had heard about Paul. Now here is the church age messenger that needs to be introduced to average church people of word of life, we'll say, and he's going to be introduced to the church to a man who has a much lesser inferior call 
understanding, revelation, and so on than he does. Now, can you imagine men of pride and prestige? They would have never humbled their self to be introduced to Peter or James or the rest of the church in Jerusalem by a man which was their inferior. I'm sorry y'all didn't know this is in your Bible. Now watch what Barnabas does. So Barnabas is acting the part of the paracletos or the advocate. So nobody, you just read it, nobody believed that Saul was a believer, much less a preacher, much less a prophet, a master builder. Are you kidding me? So Barnabas steps in with his brother. Now keep this in mind, precious friends. Sometimes we might have to be a paracletos for someone who's fell, someone who's backslid, someone who stepped out of God's care and mercy. So will you be there for them if they need somebody to stand between them? Oh, y'all ain't going to? Okay, I'm making an altar call right now. We'll start right here. Everybody from here over, come up here and repent. You see, it was very risky for Barnabas. But he feels this man is true. So notice, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Now it's not Paul telling it, but it's Barnabas who had either talked to Paul or Barnabas had heard it as he come back from where he lived, coming back through Damascus to Jerusalem. So here he is telling Paul's testimony second-handed. Well, you can imagine some of the preachers in the message, can't you? They'd say, huh, you bunch of rebels, you bunch of infidels and unbelievers, if you don't believe in me, suit yourself. I don't need you anyway. I've got my ministry, I've got my church, I've got this, and go on, do whatever you want to do. That's a man that doesn't understand very much in the scripture, does he? It would have been much easier for Paul to just walk out and say, okay, Lord, I tried, but you know, you are a witness. Every one of them thought I was a phony. Every one of them thought that I never even believed you. And more than likely by this time, three years on, he had already done more than any of them had. So here Barnabas stands in as the mediator. So through Barnabas, Saul is received as a brother. Why? His past, his past. No doubt they'd heard of him and they'd heard that he went to Damascus and he had papers and he had had some of the saints of God thrown in jail. So his past didn't speak very good of him. But through Barnabas, oh, praise the Lord, I hope you get it. Through Barnabas, Barnabas was able to convince the people Paul was a believer. Praise be to God. Notice what one man's testimony about another bearing truths now can just be able to dissolve that distrust. 
And it's like when Barnabas began to tell this, notice in verse 28, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So here the Paracletos, Barnabas, just stood there and they said, well, praise God. We know Brother Barnabas. He's a good brother. He loves the Lord. And if Barnabas has got confidence in him, praise God. My, what a thing that would be as believers, would it not? To be able to intercede in such a way and all the believers there, probably Peter, James, all the rest of them included, and yet when Barnabas stands up for him, it's just like it rolls the distrust away. Notice in verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Bless his heart, he was a troublemaking guy, wasn't he? Notice in verse 30, which when the brethren knew. Now you're the brothers, they meet him, they talk to him. He spends two weeks and a day with Peter and then he still kind of hangs around Jerusalem. Boy, he's out and about. I mean, he's out there preaching, goes to debating with the Christian and they're out to kill this guy. So the brothers, now the rest of the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem, when the brethren knew, they, notice now, they, they brought him down to Caesarea. They who? The brothers. Now, if we would read this, if we're now careful reading it, coming through all the denominational nonsense, we would go back and say, Lord, have mercy. Why, that ain't right. That ain't right for them to try to work with the local church and try, Lord, have mercy. Where'd they get that? Book of Acts. But you see what Satan done? He wants to take God's truth and so pollute it that we're scared to death of the Bible. This is your Bible. This is the way they operated. This is the way they functioned in the apostolic age. And I ask you, are we restored to this? Oh, you think it's just Acts 2.38? Notice, so when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. You mean the preachers spoke to Paul and said, Paul, you don't need to stay here. You need to leave. Oh, well, your brothers think I need to go. You need to go to Tarsus. Testing. Well, I thought this microphone was working. Maybe it ain't. Friends, this is your Bible. Don't you see why Satan wanted to make a denominational system and make it appear like the truth? So it would be such a scarecrow before people that even bride people hear this and they look at you like you're from Mars. Oh, you can imagine some of our message preachers, can't you? Now, brother, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think y'all will do that. Glory to God, I'll tell you one thing. I'm gonna do it. I don't care what happens. I'll tell you one thing. If I have to do it, well, there you go. Why? So scared of organization. We're scared of organism right with it. Oh my. Acts chapter 11, verse 28. Brother Donnie, I don't believe in elders. Well, I hope you do time I get done with it, Matt. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth, which was a famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders 
by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now notice the order that they had. So they didn't just say, here, you take it and you take it. And they believed that God had an order in his church. And they also knew there was false prophets out there. <laughs> and they knew that there was folks that would be following what the Bible term was filthy lucre, which is the love for money. Generally, filthy lucre is associated with filthy Lucifer. Uh-huh. Now, notice that they set up then in the church elders, deacons, bishops, overseers, which is the exact same word when you look at it in the Greek. One defines his age, the other defines his office. And this is the way the original church set up to eliminate a lot of the error. Notice now in chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city that had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, pastors, So who, who did this? The apostles. Now I'm looking for these words as I'm going through the book of Acts and I'm looking up every scripture where it used the word church. And I'm looking up every scripture where it uses the word churches. And I'm looking at every scripture where it uses the word elder and elders and overseers and all these words. And I'm looking for those magic words that we use so much in the message. I felt led. Now apparently my software don't work very good because in all my looking, I ain't found where Paul told any of these guys to do this if you feel led. I'm telling you, Jesus, you're gonna get me killed one of these days. You know what? They consider this as being the word of God you don't have to feel led to obey the word. You obey it because it's God's word. Praise the Lord. Some of you that wait to worship when you feel it, you're missing a great time with God. You're commissioned by God to worship him whether you feel it or not. You're commanded by God to raise your hands. It has nothing to do with feeling. Clap your hands, all you people. That's a command in God's Bible. Just like water baptism, any other command. I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna clap my hands, I'm gonna raise my hands, Brother Jack, whether I feel it or whether I don't. Why? Because the Word tells me to do it. Now I want you to notice the apostolic order that it's not preachers now that are going out and establishing their own things and doing their own thing themselves. Well, I don't need what James said. I don't need what Peter said. I don't care what they say. Glory to God, the Lord called me to do this. And I'm doing it. I don't need nobody's approval. Oh, and there you're wrong, you see. If the elders didn't approve of a preacher in the New Testament, he didn't get in their churches. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, I want you to notice now the sequence of God. The preacher didn't come first. 
So a New Testament church was never established just so a preacher could have a place to preach. The church was established and then the pastor, the elder, come into the church. Read your Bible. <laughs> when they had ordained them elders in every church, now see it doesn't say that they ordained the church or then they ordained, well the, the, the preacher went out first and then he, now remember what's going on in this is the missionary stage of the apostolic church. So Paul is going out, Peter is going out, other brothers are going out. So these men are starters, they are apostles. So they would go out and they might stay there a year, two, three, like Paul did in some places, but he's not a pastor, so he's not gonna stay. So Paul wouldn't just go there and establish a church and then just let whoever come in. Well, I, I feel that, I feel that. As I said, you won't find that. But they would be very careful of who that they placed in that church. So it wasn't like, well, I feel led to go here and I feel led to go there. That's not the scripture. I stand to be corrected if I'm wrong. Notice now what they did. And they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 15, 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now you see, this is one of the reasons they set this apostolic order up because there's always gonna be these guys right here. I found it amazing. For years, the work in China was hidden. Hardly nobody knew any contact information and that was done for a reason. Satan is never the original missionary. But ever where God's ever sent a missionary, the devil's come in right behind them. And I've seen it happen in China and seen it in other, that was one of the first works that we was ever involved in as far as one of the early foundation groundworks. And you try your best to keep it out of there as long as possible so you can get them rooted and grounded and settled in the truth because you know it's inevitable these guys will come in. And sure enough, here they come right into China. Somebody got a phone number. Let's listen to every testimony I'd give or every testimony Brother Biscoe would give or whoever would make a trip there. And they'll finally, they call somebody and got a phone number and here they go. They go and make a trip to China, one missionary of this and another missionary of that. And they go in there, what do they do? Try to pull the people off to follow in their ideology, which they were successful. And Paul knew that this would happen, so Paul said, this is the way God. Now, is there anybody here in the right mind that would want to dispute and say, that's not right, Paul did it wrong. Oh my goodness, well, I'll tell you one thing. You're braver than I am, or dumber. I believe we're talking about the master builder here. I don't care what you feel, I don't care what I feel, it has to come back to this, or it's the devil. We judge all things by the word. Now, notice when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. I mean, they scorched these guys hide. Had no small dissension and disputation with them. They disputed with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and the elders about this question. You gotta be kidding me. So here is a dispute in the church and they want to go back up to Jerusalem to talk to Peter and the apostles? You can imagine some of ours wanting to do that. 
Well, brother, let's sit down with this brother. No, no, I feel that. I'm going to, I don't care what. Well, a different spirit on us, I'm afraid, than what was in the book of Acts. Oh, my goodness. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Notice in verse 4, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. Oh, you mean that's apostolic? Mm-hmm. You see any man that's preaching anything that cannot be received by the elders in this message? Men that are true? There's something wrong with that dude. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, Brother Donnie, I got healed. I don't care if you walked on the benches. I don't care if you walk on water. If they're off the word, you better leave them alone. So they declared all things that God had done with it. But there rose up certain sect of the Pharisees which believed. <laughs> Here's our problem. We've got a certain sect of the Baptist among us that it believes a message. And we've got a certain sect of Pentecostals that believe. And believe it or not, we've got a certain sect of Church of Christ that believe. And we've got a certain sect of Nazarenes that believe. And yes, we even have some Catholics that are a certain sect of Catholicism and they believe and they are our worst troublemakers. You see, if a real believer believes, he will no longer be a believer Pharisee, he will be a believer ex-Pharisee. Amen, you might have been a church of Christ, but if you ever become a believer, praise God, you'll know you made a church of Christ no more. You'll clap your hands, you'll shout, you'll love music, and you'll say, glory to God. I used to win like music in the church, but I sure do like it now. Hallelujah. That makes me feel like dancing a little bit. Why? Because you are no longer a church of Christ, which believes you are an ex-church of Christ. Now, I want you to notice how they handle these disputes. Verse six, and the apostles and elders, apostles and pastors come together to consider this matter. Well, wait a minute, ain't that like a denomination? No, the denomination was like the original. Friend, don't be scared. Don't be scared of the original. I'm reading to you the original tonight. But you see what's trying to hinder you is that old scarecrow. I thought scare, scare, uh, scarecrow, scarecrows. Well, y'all been scared. I didn't know a scarecrow would scare an eagle, but I guess a scarecrow can scare an eagle if an eagle's so scared that he's scared of a scarecrow because he's getting his eyes off of what he's fearful of instead of getting his eyes on the word and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is God's Bible. God's Bible cannot lie. This is the way the original church operated and this is the way the master builder told them preachers, as I follow the word, you all follow me. And this is what Brother Ram said, that he followed Paul. Verse 22, then pleased, it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, surnamed Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this matter. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles and Antioch and Syria and Sicily. For as much as we have heard. Now this is the way they resolve 
these major doctrinal problems. You can't hardly get a preacher to even sit down with you that differs with you in this message. And if you differ with them, they'll turn treat you like I don't know what, and some of them will never speak to you again. And we stick out our chest because we know the seven seals. And what good has that done us if it hasn't brought back the original apostolic faith? I thought this is what Brother Ram said God called him to do, to bring us back to the original apostolic faith. Oh, my goodness. For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us, went out from us. John wrote about them later and said they went out from us because there wasn't of us. And here's what they're saying. These guys was never filled with the Holy Ghost. These guys could not preach. You'd have to have circumcision if they were really born again. These were the type of teachers that could teach you all about the law and could not produce the first new birth in one soul. Oh, praise the Lord. Now notice what they've done. They troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such. What? Commandment? Wow, you mean these apostles had that authority with God? Whew. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And then they thought it'd be a good time to just throw this next verse in. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, it wasn't that long ago that some of these same guys right here was afraid of Saul. But a brother stood in between them and brought them to an understanding of his position. We have sent. We have sent. Therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Boy, they wanted this to be resolved, didn't they? Acts 15, 40. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. You mean Paul chose a man to travel with him as to be his traveling partner by recommendation of the church? Don't you see why Satan wants to divide us? Don't you see why Satan wants to message churches? This one won't speak to that one. That one won't speak to that. And I reckon we figure when the rapture takes place, we're all just going to be changed. We're all going to be lovey-dovey. Everybody's just going to have so much love. And Y'all figure that there's going to be a street down heaven for the seven thunder people. And there's going to be another avenue. This one here will be called Perugia Avenue. And this one over here will be called Tape Only Avenue. And this one over here will be called two souls and this one will be called something else. There won't be no such things there. And there won't be nobody there with them kind of attitudes either. If we ever get there, we gotta get rid of them attitudes right here. Oh my. 
So here Paul took a man with him. Now wait a minute, this is the messenger of the age. This is the master builder, but he was still in tune with the body. You see, anything that pulls you, that pulls me, that pulls any other minister, any other church, seclusively away from the body, remember, call it what you will, it is the devil. It breaks God's word. Oh my. And he went through Syria and Sicily, confirming the churches, Acts 16, 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees, uh, decrees for to keep, that were ordained of the apostles and the elders, which are at Jerusalem. Now look what Satan has done. He's tried to mimic this with organization and scare the liver out of people for all these years. So it produces that independent something. I don't need nobody. I don't care if anybody approves of what I do or not. And look at the spirit that goes with that sort of thing. I don't need nobody. Bless God, I've got my ministry and my church and my family and my guitar. And, and you ain't going nowhere without all the rest of us either. If you're going, that is. <laughs> Notice, Paul traveling again, Acts 20, 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. Oh my goodness. And called the elders of the church. So you mean Paul wouldn't even pass through an area just on his way through without paying the courtesy to the pastors? Wow. There'll be a bride around the world that'll be restored to this just as sure as there's a God in heaven. Now you see verse 28, which I'm fixing to read to you, proves that these were ministers and not just older brothers. Paul now speaks to these elders, pastors. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God who he has purchased with his own blood. Acts 21, 18. And the day following, Paul went with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, oh my goodness, you mean Paul the prophet, the master builder, goes into men that are inferior to him and treats them as if they are the great men of the hour. That's a real Holy Ghost filled preacher right there. When he had saluted them, he declared particularly what God thing, things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Wow. First Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders that rule, again, same Greek word, age is elder, position is overseer, bishop prick or bishop. Let the elders that rule, so we're not talking about old men in the church now, but pastors, the word rule, look what it means to be over, to superintend, preside over, to be a protector or a guardian. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy, oh my goodness, of double honor? But who gets double honor in this message? A lot of times gifted men get more honor than the man who labors in doctrine and the word. 
Preachers that will step down out of their pulpit and start playing tapes and never preach another sermon. They get more honor than the men of God who labor in the word, which is a crying shame. I'll tell you one thing, a preacher that listens to some headquarters somewhere named talking out of preaching, he ought to sit down. Boy, I figured. If God calls you, how can any man shut you up? Notice, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Look at this word, labor. Toll, be wearied, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens or grief to labor with wearisome effort. To labor with wearisome effort. Now the Bible, your Bible, says men who do this are supposed to be worthy of double honor. And the church said, now this is apostolic doctrine. Notice, and then Paul gives the parallel or the example. Verse 18, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. So I'll let you know what I am. Just an old ox with a thing over the top of my neck and I'm plowing you all out and you're the corn. <clears throat> the, the ox that treadeth out the corn and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder, receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. And yet people in this message receive lies and gossip against all kinds of preachers. They don't require two witnesses or three. Stuff will be put on Facebook, on TikTok, and rock, rock, and block, block, and whatever more, and they'll spread it around as lies against men of God, and it ain't even the truth. And we feel like we're flying away into the rapture somewhere. Not if we break this word, we ain't sins. God demands obedience to his word. Oh, my. Now, here we come to a little different change. Can I have a few more minutes? <clears throat> Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Now, the, Titus was one of Paul's sons in the gospel. But here in this particular occasion, Paul and Titus have been to the island called Crete. Now, Crete is part of the Mediterranean area, but it's, it's in the Aegean Sea. A little island about 40 miles wide, 120, 130 miles long. Had approximately 100 cities on that little island. Very great vacation spot even to this day. So Paul goes in there. Now he's, he's ship, uh, whenever he's shipwrecked there and he had to go in. But apparently Paul went back again and him and Titus had made another trip because the other time he's on his way to Rome. So he didn't have time to study. But Paul apparently preached from one end of that island to the other. And there was converts from city to city. Now here Paul and Titus are back again. But something comes up and Paul doesn't tell us what it was. So apparently we didn't need to know what it was. <clears throat> so something pulls Paul away from the island of Crete. And Paul leaves Titus there on the island. Now listen what he leaves him for. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. Now, we know, no doubt, that he told him this verbally, but there must have been a question that someone would question whether or not Titus had this type of authority. 
He was not an apostle, but he was a preacher and apparently a man of great character that Paul would trust him with this. So Paul is delegating to him an apostolic authority to stand in this position under the circumstance. Now listen what Paul tells him to do. So he says, he reminds him, I left you there that you might set the things in order that are wanting. So Paul has went and preached and maybe Titus and we don't know who else and they had established churches. People got saved. So they started from the south and worked to the north or vice versa and people was getting saved, getting healed, getting delivered and they had churches but they didn't have no pastors yet. So as I said, look in the apostolic order and it's not that a church is built because a preacher wants a place to preach. Uh-uh. It's not because an associate in a church thinks he ain't been used enough so he wants to go start his own church. That's not the Bible. Amen. Come on now, read your Bible and show me and I apologize. Study your Bible close and you'll find out the way churches were established in the apostolic order. Men went in and preached and gave birth and then what? God would have to send in pastor but it was not started around the preacher first. It was started with the church and then they had to come in and ordain elders. This is your Bible now. Now watch the word that Paul used set in order. This is actually a medical term which means to set a broken bone or straighten a crooked limb. Now the church has heard the truth. They've got saved. No doubt a lot of them got the Holy Ghost and they're loving God, I mean, mainly Greeks uh, and Gentiles, so um, this is just absolutely overwhelming to them. But Paul told Titus, because of this urgent situation, I had to leave and things are not in order. Oh, why didn't Paul tell them? We'll just let them do whatever they think. We'll just let some man that feels led to do it. Just, just let, it, let it happen. I mean, we believe in the providence of God, so let God take care of it. Paul felt it his responsibility to let there be elders placed in them church. Why, they'd be like India was, if you'll listen to Taking Sides of Jesus, 1962, and the prophet said most of those converts that he led to the Lord all went back to the Sikhs and the Jains and the Buddhists. Why, he said, because there was no minister there I could send them to. Oh, he said, I wish that I had young men that would be able to go there. Notice Brother Branham ringing the apostolic doctrine. Oh, I wish I had young men that I could send to South Africa, young men I could send here and there and there. That's the way the church growed, not by being divided and split. The church growed out of itself under the administration of the present ministry that God put it in, not somebody trying to establish themselves. That's not the way it was in the Bible. So there was a broken bone or a crooked limb. Well, what was the broken bone? No pastors. What was the crooked limb? They, they couldn't hardly walk right. No pastors. So Paul tells Titus, look Titus, I've left you there that you can set the things in order. I want you to get in there and set that bone. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, that hurts, don't it? It ain't no wonder that a preacher has to break people sometimes and boy, people get mad at him. Man, you ever go to a doctor and you're in pain that doctor has to gouge on you a little bit and poke on you and he's like, come on, man, I'm hurting already. Don't hurt me worse. Well, I look at it, if he's got to hurt me worse to make me better, lay it on me, doc. That's why I look at a preacher. If you've got to burn me up one side and down the other, let me have it. Don't let me go to hell. Oh, my. So the church is a body. And sometimes a preacher has to be like a spiritual physician. So Titus was not to select the bishops himself. 
I want you to notice the word that Paul uses here. So he is not a pope. He is not an archbishop. Oh, no, I pick him, I pick him, I pick that one, I pick that one. But you see, the body themselves, the word that Paul uses is not that Titus is going to pick them, but Titus is going to ordain them. (laughs) The church is already voting The church is already looking and young men raising up or whatever more from among them. But Paul wants to give Titus the requirements of a pastor. And he wants to send him there just to make sure their choice is scriptural. Praise God. Now let's read this verse again. For this cause have thou thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordained elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So he's not there picking them any, many, many more, but he's ordaining, ordaining my brother, I ordain you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, chosen by this flock, chosen by them. I stand here representing Paul. Wow. I stand here with an apostolic authority. I hope you understand this. It was only temporary allotted to Titus to do this under the circumstances. So Paul now instructing him. Now he's going to give verse 6. And he's going to tell him. Now look, Titus, when you get there, just in case the church may have voted for a man that does not meet the standard of God, I want to remind you, which he told Timothy some of these same words. If any man be Blameless. Look at the meaning of the word. Unreprovable. That cannot be called into account. Unreprovable. Unaccused. This is the kind of man you want to be your pastors, he said. A man that's blameless. Now, blameless isn't just necessarily that he don't run around with women or he don't drink, or he's not, you know, he loves money. He's not a gambler. It can be all kinds of things. This man must be, now he doesn't say perfect, but he's saying blameless, which means that they cannot say this man is a backstabber and have proof of it. This man is two-faced and have proof of it. This man is this or that or the other. Paul said, nope, don't put that kind of man in as your pastor. A lot of preachers would be bad off to be plumbers, wouldn't they? Not converter guys, because there's enough rotten stuff in that. I wouldn't want to send them in that direction. <laughs> anyway, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife. Not been married two times, three times, four times, five times. Oh, I know I'm old-fashioned, but I still believe this is God's word. My God is not so hard up and he can have double-minded, double-married preachers, double-minded too, yeah. double-married preachers in the pulpit. Oh, I'll catch you for that, but that's still God's Bible. That's okay, I'm willing to bear reproach for the word. The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So you see the character is twofold, both positive and negative. 
He must have this, he must have this, he must have this, but he can't have this and he can't have that and he can't have that. For a bishop must be blameless. Again, he uses the word again, blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, self-pleasing, self-willed, arrogant. Let's stand. Let's stand. Now this is not a suggestion. Notice the word. A bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker. This ain't walking in front of a picket line now and carrying, you know, those union signs, but it's a man who loses his temper real quick and raises his voice. You see, a man might have a great family. He might even have a great call in his life. But a short-tempered man, God will never put one to be his pastor. Apostolic times are coming. Oh, yes, they are. Apostolic times are coming. The bride's going up in the fire. We've been restored by Malachi 4. He is coming, knocking on our door. Oh, apostolic times are coming. Lord, bring them down again. Amen. Yeah, that was nice, Lord. <laughs> Notice this word, striker. Bruiser. Ready for a blow. Whoa. Pugnacious, a pugnacious, contentious, quarrelsome person. Verse 8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. You are not only known by your friends, but you're known by your enemies. But I'm telling you one thing, if the saints of God don't want to be around you, or me. The saints of God don't want to be fellowship. I'd question myself if I was you. I don't worry. I don't need nobody. Oh, you just now forfeited your right to preach. You see, it was you first, then me. It wasn't me who come here years and years ago, and this church is built around me. I came to you all. The Lord sent me here to you all. Praise the Lord. It'd be not easier for me if the Lord would have sent you all to me in Kentucky. That's where I'm from. And the Lord would have sent you all. But he didn't do that, did he? He sent me to you. He tore up my family. He busted up my family. My friends, my girls had to leave their, their friends. They had to leave their family. For who? For you. So you see, this is not built around me. A church that is built around the man is built on the wrong foundation. Do you understand? A church that is built that way is just as anti-scriptural as a denomination. Because a denomination is a man-made system. And you'll agree with me. Oh, I'd never join that. Uh-huh. But some of you will go to a man-made church because it don't meet the requirements of God's scriptures. And what is it? Just as much man-made as any denomination ever breathed. We don't want a church man-made. If, 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 if this church was started by men, we're in a herd of trouble, friends. 
If this message was founded by a man, we're in a mess of trouble. But if it was founded by God using a man, which we believe it is, we've got the right way to heaven. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, give the Lord a hand, would you? Let me just read this for you for the next time, Lord willing. 1 Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You see, the fire only purifies the gold and the silver and the stones. But it destroys the wood, the hay the stubble. Paul uses six different types of material. Three are durable, lasting. Three are temporal. They are a substance that can be destroyed by fire. Now let's move it beyond the preachers tonight. Let's bring it to you laity. When your life is finished and spent, you want what you've done to count, don't you? Oh, you'll never be maybe a preacher. You may travel the world and be a missionary and this and that. But what God's give you to do, don't you want to be faithful? Whether it's a housewife, a father, a mother, whatever it is, you want your works to be able to stand. But here Paul is basically looking at the preachers and he sets forth two types of preachers. Some that are sound and solid on the apostolic foundation. Others that are unsound. And what they're going to do and what they're going to build upon will seem great in the eyes of some until the fire tested. And the fire will annihilate it. You imagine God said, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Oh my. Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. How many want your works for the Lord Jesus to be lasting? You don't want it to be temporary? Passing, ordinary, not substantial, that'll last. Oh, my, me too, friends. It's going to be awful when some preachers stand before him that day. Lord, I prayed, I labored, I sweated. I sat up past midnight many a night and I'd done this and that and the other. Jesus will look around and say, where's your works? Well, Lord, I, I, I was an evangelist. I, I, was, a, I was a theologian. I, I was a pastor. I, I pastored a church for 40 years. And where is that? I see you standing there empty-handed. Well, Lord, what happened? You built it upon stubble, on wood, on hay. Oh, my. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads to the dust of the earth from whence our bodies were taken and one day they will return again. May we look tonight in this sober, solemn atmosphere that we feel in this place. Whether we're preachers or laity or singers or whatever our vocation is in life, Lord, may we purpose Tonight, greater than ever before, we want to be found standing on your word. The fire is going to come, Lord. The fire is going to come and it's going to try my work. When I stand there, mama won't be there with me, daddy won't, 
My brother Harry stood with me, stood together with me for years and years, but he won't be able to stand there with me. My wife stood with me and stood beside me, my family, my friends, minister brothers here in the church, church members. But Lord, when I stand that day and the fire comes, it'll be me and my works. If I built on the foundation and I've took wood, hay, stubble, I left out a little word here, a little apostolic teaching there, a little apostolic doctrine there. And I didn't think it really mattered that much because I felt led to do this or that or the other. Lord God, I pray that you'd help me. Help us to realize we cannot go by what we feel. We must go by your word. Feelings will lie to us. They will deceive us. But your word will forever stand. Begin with me tonight, would you, Lord Jesus? See if I've got any wood in my building accessories. See if I've got any stubble, any hay, any combustible substance that I would be laying upon the apostolic foundation. May every man, woman, boy, and girl look at their own hearts tonight, the works. Well, I've done this for the Lord. I've done that for the Lord. But is it gold, silver, precious stones? Now we know wood, hay, and stubble is, we can pick it up laying on the side of the road. Hardly no value to it at all. Fleeting, passing. Gold, most of us probably don't even own a piece of it. Silver, huh, it's plated. It's not even probably real. Precious stones, so, Lord, that's the way it is with the gospel, and Paul chose these to show how hard they are to get and how precious they are when you get them. Lord God, I pray you'd help us. Father, we know many times you use these even in the parables. You talked about a pearl, about the pearl of great price, and you talked about the gates of that city are made out of pearls, and then we look at a pearl, and we know that a pearl is made when this little animal down in the water gets a little irritant inside of its body, a grain of sand, a little tiny piece of stone, and it begins to rub that little old tiny animal the wrong way, and it starts secreting this stuff in its body to surround that little thorn, that little stone, whatever it was. So a pearl is formed out of much labor and pain and anguish. And ain't no wonder you didn't make the gates out of gold and you didn't make the gates out of silver, but you wanted to make the gates out of a gigantic pearl. Every child of God that walks through those gates will look up at them and be able to know their life matches the entryway to heaven because they themselves are a pearl as well. Oh, Jesus, help us tonight, Father. Forgive us of our mistakes. Forgive us of our wrongs, Lord God. If our building has any wood, Lord God, may we, by the grace of God tonight, temporarily pull that thing out and replace it with something substantial, something permanent. It don't necessarily mean we have to start all over again. But let us just go to that one spot and pull it out. Maybe an attitude, arrogance, whatever more. 
Lord God, may we be first honest enough to admit it and then pull it out of our lives, Lord God. We love you tonight, Jesus. And he loves him with all your heart. You want him just to search you tonight, friends. Will you say it with me? Lord, just search me. Just search me, Lord Jesus. You find any wood, any hay, any stubble, anything, Lord, that will not endure? Help me, Lord. Lord, I'm getting up in years. If I live a couple more months, I'll be 67 years old. I'm only one breath away from going into eternity. I don't want to play. I've never wanted to play. I sure don't want to now, Lord. Oh, Jesus, I want to be true. I want to be genuine. I want to be sincere, Lord. Hallelujah. Help me, Lord. Help me. May my work be fire-tested, fire-proven. May my gold be able to match the touchstone. May my silver not be brittle, but may it withstand the fire. Grant it, Lord God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We worship you tonight, Jesus. Can we just raise our hands? Now in the presence of the King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. We worship you tonight, Jesus. We worship you, Father. Let our church truly be an apostolic church based on the principles of the Bible. May every preacher that goes out of this church, may his ministry be based like that in the book of Acts. May every believer witness that they are a Bible-believing Christian. Oh, Jesus, bring your people back to the original word. Hallelujah, Father. We worship you tonight, Lord God. Maybe we can just worship him a little and we just trust you pouring a little bit of oil tonight in our wounds Rub us down a little bit before we go. Help us. Well, I want to mile up to his word. I believe you do too. I don't think we're here tonight to play. I don't think you've come to see this one or that one. I believe you've come to hear the truth. And by hearing it, we will walk out and obey it. Remember, I told you last week, really, you only believe how much of the word that you obey and put into action. It's easy to say, I believe every word. Well, let's just see how much of it that you obey. That's what really reflects who we are. Hey, let's sing something together. Every singer, every musician, every brother that slides a button up there on the top, the brothers that's up there in the internet room, every deacon, every trustee, those in the library, every Sunday school teacher, every one of us, we want what we do for the Lord and what we do for his people to be able to withstand the fire that's coming. Because every one of your works will be tried just like mine. So we want it to be something that when the fire comes, it will be able to stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
love you tonight, Father. Lord, as we come to this closing part of the service, we know that there's nothing we could ever give you that would be really worth anything except you gave it to us first. So you gave us our gifts and our abilities, and we wish to bring them back to you tonight and say, would you use them? Would you use them? Would you help us to build on this foundation of Christ? Lord God, I thank you for this tonight. It so helps us to understand where a lot of folks that are weak say, oh, they're good people, they're good people. Yes, and many of them are good people, but yet they will labor for many years and their work will not be able to stand the fire. But you and your mercy, how merciful you are that many of those people will be saved. They will be saved. But Lord God, we don't want to just be saved. But we want to bring to you things. I don't want to do things for reward. I want to do things because I'm called to work with you. I'm called to labor with you. Lord God, I pray that you'd help me. Jesus, as I get older, I may not be as strong and I may not be able to go like I could when I was a younger man. But as long as you count me fit, I want to labor as long as you want me to labor. Not for my own glory, but for you, for your people. Lord God, help me. Help me, Jesus. If there's any wood, any stubble, any hay in me, show me, Jesus. I beg you. Show me so I can get rid of it, Lord. The fire's coming. It's coming, Lord. We want to be able to pass through it, and we want our works to pass through it with us. So when we get on the other side, we have trophies to lay at your feet. Things that we can give you, not to buy our salvation and merit it, but because we love you. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Go with us now, Father, I pray. Bring us back, Lord, this weekend. You see the youth service that we have, Lord, this weekend coming up, and we're just expecting you, Lord, to meet with our youth. Brother Aaron Oglesby going to come and speak for them, and we pray you'll just deal with his heart. Give him the things that will be needful and beneficial for them, Father. We love you now, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. Um, I, I, Brother Aaron, did you mention about Brother Luther? Okay, Brother Luther Dishman that I'd mentioned uh, to you for you to uh, pray for him. He had his surgery yesterday, and they did three bypasses in his heart. And uh, last night his daughter had text Carol and uh, up 8 o'clock or so. They'd already pulled all the tubes out of him. Uh, she sent us a picture of him today. He was sitting up eating some soup and some bread. And <clears throat> praise the Lord. Amen. The doctors were so, so um, concerned about his situation. Some just wasn't even sure if the man would even live with the state that he was in. But once again, our God has moved. And we're so thankful for it. Uh, my brother-in-law, Brother Arlie Piercy, which married uh, Carol's sister Sharon. She passed away a few years ago. Y'all remember that. He's actually marrying Brother Aaron McCoy's mother this week. So Brother Arlie was, or, or Brother Luther rather, was supposed to perform that wedding on Saturday. So he's not going to be able to do it. So they've asked me if I would do it. So Carol and I are going, going down tomorrow. Lord willing, we plan on seeing Brother Luther tomorrow. So can I take your greetings to him? Yes. I plan on seeing him tomorrow, and then we will be there uh, for the wedding practice on Friday, and then the wedding Saturday, and then we will leave immediately after the wedding, 1 o'clock on Saturday evening, and then 
come back home and be here for service on Sunday. So if you'd remember some prayer, we'd appreciate it. Also, I'd like to make known to you again the request for Erica. Uh, her numbers still need to come up. Her platelets have gone down a little bit from what they were uh, the other day, <clears throat> but that means nothing. Amen. Amen. That means nothing. We believe God's word. I may believe that we can touch him when we pray. Amen. So if you just remember her, we would, uh, we would appreciate that. Other needs, it's among our body and all. God bless you. We love you in the Lord. Brother Aaron, would you come, brother? Let's just sing this tonight as we go. All my soul needs is all your love to cover me so all the world will see I am nothing.
Without 